The Start On Demand. On demand. I'm sorry, a wind chill of minus 53? We'll speak to Environment Canada about this latest horrifying development in our cold snap. Imagine you're a junior hockey player in Manitoba, and in walks in a Stanley Cup winning head coach to deliver the pregame pep talk. It happened this weekend in Dauphin. 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier is in Melfort, Saskatchewan for the sentencing hearing of the truck driver who caused the deadly Humboldt Broncos bus crash, and he tells a highly personal story from his childhood. And do you enjoy true crime stories, particularly about serial killers? Or is that kind of stuff too morbid for you? We'll speak to one of our colleagues who finds it utterly fascinating, especially when it's the subject of the latest documentary on Netflix, Ted Bundy. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who is off today. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Monday, January 28th podcast for The Start. Something really cool happened over the weekend in Dauphin. Yeah, I reference the fact that amateur coaches of all sports channel their idols, their mentors, and the legends of coaching. Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers, gets quoted not only in locker rooms, but boardrooms as well, as his philosophies have been seen to transcend sport. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all-the-time thing. You don't win once in a while, and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit. You gotta play with your heart, with every ounce of fiber in your body. I've never known a man worth the salt who deep down in his heart didn't appreciate the grind, the discipline, and to win, and to win, and to win. Now, couldn't have Vince Lombardi without going to a coach potatoes passion, and that's movies, even fictional coaches, become fodder for coaches looking to inspire the best effort from their athletes. Al Pacino's character, Tony Diamato, in any given Sunday has found his pregame pep talks regurgitated all over social media and in locker rooms all over North America. I don't know what to say, really. Three minutes to the biggest battle of our professional lives all comes down to today. Either we heal as a team or we're going to crumble. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. Now, if you are an aspiring head coach in hockey, channeling Stanley Cup champion Barry Trotz might not be the worst idea What if the coach you're using as inspiration walks in the dressing room door just before opening face-off? Well, that is exactly what happened Saturday night in Dauphin as the Kings prepared for Ukrainian night versus the Portage Terriers. Gentlemen, how are you? Okay, make sure you're checking with your feet, get on top of them, good line changes, let's get puck sequence, make business decisions, let's go after them, okay? Deal? Yeah. Yeah. Deal. Okay, I'll right. get starting line up here, okay? Paul Bear. Yeah. Yeah. Russell. Yeah. Ethan, suppose if nothing gets by you tonight, okay? Total commitment, boys, okay? Oh, yeah. 
So sometimes players, different players, will get the honor of reading out the starting lineup. Obviously, Barry Trotz got the honor on Saturday night in Dauphin. The NHL All-Star Weekend took place Friday and Saturday in San Jose. And Trotz thought he'd take advantage of the four-day break for players and coaches who weren't participating. We're on our NHL All-Star break right now. And uh, I want to go up to see my my folks up in in Dauphin. It just happened to be Ukrainian night in uh, with the hockey team, and I started my my career uh, with the Dauphin Kings. So they they did a fantastic job. It, it brings the community together uh, culturally. Uh, it's fantastic. Dauphin is known for the National Ukrainian Festival, and it really is something special. They've done something special there in Dauphin, and it's uh, it turned out to be a real great tradition. After winning a Stanley Cup last year with the Washington Capitals, Trots and the Islanders are currently first in their division and have the second most points in the Eastern Conference behind the Tampa Bay Lightning. He also returned home to Dauphin in August during his day with the Stanley Cup. Riley Shamray, Dauphin Kings captain, tells us what it was like to have Trots show up in the dressing room. All the boys kind of joked about it, thinking, well, that would be pretty cool if it happened. When we saw him walk in the room, everyone's jaws kind of dropped, and it was a pretty, pretty cool moment. Now, uh, you know this was Trotz's day. Uh, he won the 50-50 pot at the Bantam Rangers game in the <laughs> afternoon. Now, he only won 125 bucks, but guess what he did? Gave it right back to minor hockey program in Dauphin. Now, did the inspirational chat, did the visit, the surprise drop-in, help the Dauphin Kings ascend to victory? The rah-rah? The shish-boom-ba? <laughs> no, they lost 4-1 to Portage. Shish boom ba. What is that? Look it up. Shish boom ba. It's a sort of a cheerleader thing. <laughs> rah rah. Shish boom ba. <laughs> I love it. Mackling and McGarry McNabb back tomorrow. As we just heard in the forecast, it's going to be so cold tonight. Wind chills near minus fifty and. We're going to speak with Environment Canada at 8.07 to find out when this snap is going to end because I know later this week we're expecting a temporary reprieve. Hmm. But uh, looking at the long-term <laughs> forecast, it's not it's not that great. And I realize it's January, it's winter in Winnipeg, but still, it takes a toll. So we want to talk right now about the winter blues and how to beat them because it can be hard to resist the urge to just curl up in a ball and kind of be sad. I think Jeff Forche had the uh, best solution of all of us at least so far. Forche, welcome back. It's good to be back. Where were you for the last week? Texas. Yeah, was uh, no plugging in the car there, I'm guessing. Oh, no, not at all. I was, uh, you know, eating meals by the river, by the lake, and out by the lake. It was was quite enjoyable. Can you control his microphone? Can you turn his microphone (laughs) off? No, he can't. can't. (laughs) Let's face it, Kelly, for a lot of us, that is our coping mechanism is... To get out of Dodge. That's why I'm leaving for three weeks a week from today. So <laughs> the, the timing seems to be perfect this year uh, with the way the weather has gone. But, you know, I, I like Brett's idea, though, of, uh, you know, just going out there, making sure that you're adequately prepared, especially when it is a clear, blue, sunny day. As long as the wind's not too harsh and blowing in your face, then... Uh, you know, cold is cold. So get out there, have a nice walk. I I thought that was a great idea on your part, Brett. Yeah, I went out Friday afternoon, and I, I mean, I, I, this started a couple years ago when my car died in January 2017. It was actually I had to leave it in the parking lot here at Polo Park, 
And I walked to work the next day, and it was minus 25. I think it was snowing. But I enjoyed it. So then I I've now find that I look forward to my winter walks more. And on Friday, it was a beautiful sunny day. It was cold, for sure. It was minus 25. I don't know what the wind chill was, but I had three layers of pants on. I had my big parka. I had a toque, a face warmer, and even ski goggles with these big burly mitts. But I enjoyed it. And when I got, when I finished... I thought, I, not only did I go for the walk, but I felt like, you know, they gave me a sense of accomplishment. Yeah, winter I, did not beat me. No, exactly. I, I'm right there with you. I do the same thing. I like, I love going for walks with my buddy. I just lives around the block from me. And I love dressing up. I'll wear, yeah, three pairs of pants, uh, T-shirt, the sweater, with another sweater, hoodie, hmm. my jacket on. I get really bundled up. Like, I look like a, a walking, like, marshmallow. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like the kid from A Christmas Story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I enjoy it. And then when, when I get back in, into the warmth of the house, I don't know, I just, you feel, I don't know, kind of tired, but kind, kind of, I don't know how to, just feel good. But that yeah. sunshine, too, good. it's important to get that sunshine, right? I think we really underestimate how important that real, that Love genuine. Love on BC and Yolv. <laughs> yeah, I remember that and how the effect that it had on, on my psyche living out there. But yeah, genuine, real vitamin D. You can take all the supplements you want, Braun, but it doesn't replace the real deal. Yeah, I, I'm content to be sad for a couple of weeks and just stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gone back out skating? No, it's too cold. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get there yet once okay. it warms up, but this week is a TV week for me. Okay. So that is, <laughs> is that what you do then? You make, you hunker down and oh, make yeah. sure that you've got stuff to do? You have like a list or of things you want to watch? No. I just sleep. I got a, a PVR full of Frasier reruns I'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> I've been all, watching all that. There's 700 shows on TV every year, and I'm watching Frasier reruns. I'm watching <laughs> Frasier. It's on CMT, right? Did you, uh, it's on something called Yes TV. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I, I've been watching on CMT, and I forgot how clever and how terrific That's that show is. Show. So yeah. uh, winter is a little bit of a, a gift that way in terms of, uh, you know, no baseball in the evenings because in the summertime, I'm tied up with baseball three yeah. or four nights a week. So it's nice to, to be uh, hunkered down in the evening. But we try and get out a little bit, but I, we're not doing a really good job of it this year. I have to confess, we have to do a better job of just bundling everybody up and saying, all right, that's it. This is not going to win. We're going to Birds Hill Park and we're going to go for a walk. You know, it's nice that you get in the trees, right? You can you can break down the wind a little well, bit. Well, now there's that new snow maze too, you know, at the, the amazing corn. And of course, you know, you're kind of enclosed in there. So even if it's windy... You know, it still wouldn't be too bad, so that would be kind of a neat thing to okay, do. When you if go you there, can get out. I'll let you know. You let me know. Yeah. Uh, but Report I'll, I'll, back. I'll, do, I'll, I'll go there after I get back from <laughs> spending three weeks in the sun. But, you know, as nut bar as this sounds, you know what I'm looking forward to after work today? Please Getting tell me. Getting home and, dry, and uh, shoveling out the driveway. Why didn't you do that this I, morning, Kelly? Yeah, well, because I didn't feel like doing it at 3 o'clock in the morning, yeah, Well, I did mine, Kelly. Mine's oh, all done. So. You're excited about it. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not so much excited. I just, I'm looking forward to it, though. It's a chance to get a little bit of exercise and, uh, uh, you know, and then if it really goes well, I'll bring out the big heavy-duty scraper and get it right down to the, the pavement. Oh, yeah, because yeah. this is the time of year when you can do it. Exactly. It's easy yeah. to chip away that compressed, and, yeah. that compressed snow. But I got to tell you, I was, I was shoveling this morning morning, I was thinking, anything happened to me if, God forbid, something happened to my heart, I, they would not find me till no, morning. No, no, So I might have to reconsider the wisdom of shoveling in At the middle of the night. The morning, yeah, because, yeah. yeah, nobody's finding me anytime soon if yeah, I can't and, get to that no matter cell how, phone. No matter how quiet you're trying to be, shoveling still makes noise, and, and noise at 3 a.m. is not a... 
Not music to the ears of the neighbors. Well, it's not the shovel. It's the, ah, I'm throwing it. <laughs> well, another thing, another reason, too, for me why the walks are important is I typically don't take those winter vacations. You're taking a vacation, Kelly. We have yeah. another uh, listener, Yuri, who says the only way to beat the winter blues is sipping pina colada on the beach far away from Winnipeg. But having those trips... Is gives you something to look forward to. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Gives yeah. you a reason to just to have, it's like the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there's no question about it. And DJ, the flip side, the antithesis of our previous text message, uh, 6 a.m., walk the dogs in the back bush trails, wakes you up. And we mentioned Tristan Field-Jones and Brittany Greenslade guest hosting on the news and the reason why. There is a guest host for Richard. Julie's away this week, but Richard is also away in Melfort, Saskatchewan. He joins us now live on the start. Good morning, Richard. Hey, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here, Richard. This is going to be a, a week of reflection of powerful statements, victim impact statements, uh, amongst other uh, uh, amongst other festivities, and this is the wrong word, but, but the order of events lay it out for us what we're going to see over the next five days Richard well it's interesting because I think we've uh, and I certainly over my career have been to uh, courtrooms makeshift courtrooms um, in First Nations communities up in northern Manitoba northern Ontario but I have seen nothing like what we're gonna see here today and this is a recreation center and a massive gymnasium within that recreation center here in this community is being converted into a courtroom. Uh, there isn't a courtroom in this area to be able to uh, handle all the people, all the relatives, all the friends, um, all the people that are interested in hearing first-hand accounts. Of course, all the lawyers, all the staff and the media that have descended here. We have news media from across the country, some internationally, the sports media here uh, is here again, and uh, you get a sense that these families are going to, well, they're going to relive uh, what happened last year over and over again. But it's important that the victim impact statements be heard. We're not sure how many are actually going to be read out. We'll get a sense of that later this morning. And um, I'm interested in hearing and whether we're going to see more details about exactly what uh, happened um, the state of mind of uh, Sidhu, the track dri truck driver, who has pleaded guilty to 16 counts of dangerous driving causing death, 13 counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm. And what's interesting on this is that there's no case in Canadian history that you can really look at as far as a barometer of, of a sentencing here. So we're going to hear the the, the passion and how this event has changed so many lives over the next few days and the raw emotion of that we're also going to likely hear a few more details and then uh, there won't be a sentencing this week the, the judge is likely going to reserve but how do you come up with a sentence on this that uh, somehow uh, covers the devastation that went on here and I would also suggest gentlemen that in this case, the truck driver has already been sentenced. He's he's in jail already for what he did. He has to live with this for the rest of his life. Now, Richard, I mentioned uh, before we broke for the news at 7 o'clock that 
You are going to be covering this with uh, a personal experience that I confess I didn't realize that that you had lived uh, up until Friday was the first time that you'd shared that with me. And I'm going to write about it over the next couple of days. And I think I'm now in a position, given my family situation, that um, I can share this. And I'll share this briefly. When I was um, four years old, and I have very distinct memories of this, um, I had an older brother that was killed in a car accident. Very similar circumstances. Somebody going through a stop sign. Uh, no charges in this case. This was, you know, 1968, a very different era. And I grew up in a household that was changed by the death of a 16-year-old. You know, parents are not supposed to outlive their young ones. So, you know, reflecting upon that, and I'm going to write about this because I've got some very, very distinct memories of that night. You know, as a four-year-old, what do you remember? I remember certain events very clearly. And I also remember how this changed my childhood, my older brother's childhood, and my parents and what I was told was you know a a happy household went to um, you know I had a good childhood but there was always this 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 cloud always this cloud and I can just imagine what's going on with all these families and how this has changed not only now because uh, there's a sentencing going on so there's something really a next event but I'll be fascinated to see what happens years from now. When we go back to some of the families in five years, how many families have been drawn closer as a result of this? How many will fall apart? How many were, will alcoholism be introduced? Because as a result of such a tragic loss in families, you see in many cases families either stick really close together or fall apart. And... Um, you know, it was one of those situations where my parents stuck it out, but it was a very different uh, household as a result. And it's only in my adult years that I really started to understand um, depression, alcoholism, um, you know, dealing with those types of issues. So, yeah, I come at this from a variety of angles, one on, on my personal experience and, and, and wanting to talk to some of these families and I also really want to find out what's in the mind of this truck driver at the time and now uh, as we document um, this very tragic event. 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier joining us live from Melfort, Saskatchewan. Richard, thank you very much for this. You're welcome, guys. The headline at globalnews.ca, front and centre on the homepage. Everybody's going to feel it. Broncos families prepare for sentencing hearing. And Richard will have much more on this throughout the day on 680 CJOB. We start this half hour with this. Just a short drive from the famous palaces of St. Petersburg is an ordinary office building that's become infamous. This for rent sign adorns the former home of the now notorious Russian troll factory which the U.S. accuses of meddling in its 2016 presidential election and where Vitaly Bespalov used to work. The term Kremlin troll is a known thing in Russia, but Americans and Canadians weren't prepared for it, he says. Of course, Entertainment's Curious Cast is one of Canada's fastest-growing podcast networks and is home to popular podcasts like Nighttime, Dark Poutine, Nothing much happens. This is why the ongoing history of new music and many more 
Russia has been accused of using trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. The new investigative podcast, Russia Rising, hopes to unravel the giant mystery with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former Russian KGB spy. You can join Global News Network correspondent and former Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple in discovering how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. And Jeff Semple joins us now live this morning on 680 CJOB. Jeff, good morning to you, sir. Uh, Good morning, guys. Great to be with you. So on the first episode of the Russia Rising podcast, you're going to visit the former home of the now notorious Russian troll factory in St. Petersburg. What does a Russian troll factory in St. Petersburg look like? <laughs> That's right. Uh, check that one off the bucket list for my reporting career, reporting from outside a troll factory. Yeah, it sounds a little ridiculous, I know, but it is uh, very serious, of course. And this is, uh, you know, this is the troll factory that we've heard so much about over the past couple of years, you know, the one that was accused of meddling in the last U.S. presidential campaign where, the, you know, sort of this home to an army of Russian trolls who were creating fake news and propaganda posts on the Internet and trying to sow division in the United States and who have been accused of trying to get Donald Trump elected. We've heard so much about that, of course. But what we wanted to know was, you know, whether it went further than that. And what we discovered was, in fact, that it went much further and much deeper and that the number of tweets and posts that were coming from this troll factory in St. Petersburg actually rose after the U.S. presidential election. Lots of other countries were targeted, including Canada. In fact, we found thousands of tweets that specifically targeted Canadians and Canadian issues and really, really controversial stuff like immigration and race relations. And it was incredible, guys, because despite, you know, the, the, the popular conception that the main goal of this troll factory was was to get Donald Trump elected. What we discovered was that the trolls would promote and, and continue to promote both sides of really divisive, controversial issues. So, you know, we saw posts uh, that, that said, keep Canada white, for example, while others use the hashtag Black Lives Matter. So it was clear from what we uh, discovered here that these trolls were really looking to try and sow division in, you know, North America, in the United States, in Canada, um, to try and sow division between, you know, neighbors and try to sow division between countries. Um, and so we spoke to a former troll about that, as you say, but we also, you know, through the course of the series, we'll hear from a former Russian hacker, a former KGB agent who actually went to the same spy school as Russian President Vladimir Putin at around the same time. So it was fascinating. You know, we so often hear about Russia in the news, often for the wrong reasons, but this podcast provided a great outlet for us to go beyond the headlines and the daily news stories and to delve a little deeper and to get a better understanding of the biggest stories facing Russia today. Jeff, obviously it's not free. Uh, these these individuals are employed. They, they're fairly sophisticated, knowledgeable about what they're doing. What is in it for Russia to instigate this dissent, whether it be in the United States and Canada or other countries? Yeah, well, that's right. It's not free. And in fact, you know, just to pick up on that point, what we did find was that the troll factory was owned and being funded by a, a Russian oligarch, a businessman uh, with close pro- close uh, personal ties to President Putin. He's actually nicknamed Putin's chef because he started in the restaurant business, but has since become one of Russia's, Russia's business business. Uh, uh, 
excuse me, wealthiest businessmen. And uh, in, in terms of the why, we really wanted to get at that question because, you know, why why would the Kremlin, why would President Putin want to go to all this this effort to meddle in Western countries? And, you know, it, it's a, it, it remains a, a question that sort of depends on who you ask. We heard a lot of people with who believe that, you know, Putin's main goal here is to make our Western version of democracy look bad so that when you look over at countries like Canada and the United States from Russia, you'll see, you know, countries who are fiercely divided, who are, you know, dysfunctional, uh, and that Russians will then, you know, sort of be more likely to cling to their version of democracy and, you know, and their Russian president, who they see as strong and stable in contrast to the chaos and political dysfunction they see in the United States. But I think, you know, when we asked a former KGB agent uh, who, as I say, went to school at the same time as President Putin why the Russian president might want to, you know, throw his weight around like this, he believes that the main reason is that, you know, to divide the West means that you've got weaker institutions like the European Union and NATO. So the next time President Putin wants to, you know, invade a country like Ukraine, for example, or allegedly try to assassinate a former Russian spy like Sergei Skripal in England, that he can do that and expand Russian's sphere of influence in its in the region without having to worry about a coordinated Western retaliation, you know, like the sanctions we saw from Western countries following the invasion of Ukraine, uh, or the expulsion of Russian diplomats like we saw following the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal. So I think, you know, the best defense for Russia is a good offense, and by trying to divide the West, um, you know, what we found is that that sort of enables Putin to... to to do what he wants without having to worry about NATO coming back and and facing repercussions. The power of misinformation. With the indictment of Roger Stone on Friday, I did a little more digging into this man. He's legendary. And in the Netflix film about him, Get Me Roger Stone, he talks about how uh, during the, the presidential election between uh, Kennedy and Nixon, and of course Roger Stone infamously has a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back, but he supported President Kennedy in his mock school election, and he sowed the seeds of discontent towards Nixon by spreading a rumor that that Richard Nixon wanted to start school on Saturday. And so <laughs> he admits this, that in, you know, in his early years, at eight years old, he realized the power of misinformation. Yeah, no, it's an incredible anecdote. And I mean, similarly to some of the stories we found while researching this podcast, Russia Rising, some of them are just stranger than fiction and not like that, not unlike that Roger Stone anecdote. And I think, you know, it does speak to the power of propaganda and misinformation. And in fact, one of our episodes in a few weeks, and there'll be a new episode out every Monday, by the way, one of our episodes focuses on the question of fake news and propaganda and misinformation. And we actually look at this ancient Russian tactic known as maskarovka, which in, is a Russian word that literally means masking. And it started as a Russian military doctrine centuries ago, like seven, eight hundred years ago. And basically, it's the Russian art of deception. And Russian, you know, even centuries ago and, and, and continued through the Second World War, where the Russian army was famous for its deception, for its surprise attacks. Um, there are just incredible stories throughout the course of Russian history where they have, you know, 
snatched victory from the jaws of defeat by using, you know, the element of surprise and the element of deception. So we spoke to, you know, a couple of people who have actually been warning NATO for a while now that Russia has essentially adopted what was once a, you know, incredible military strategy known as Maskarovka and are now applying that military strategy to politics and to propaganda. Uh, and there are a few ingredients to it in terms of just a, sort of a how-to guide in terms of trying to confuse um, and, you know, make, make it feel like finding the truth is like a needle in a haystack of lies. And so we'll sort of, we worked through that in one of our episodes. And it is really incredible, as you say, the power of misinformation to, to confuse and, and make people, leave people feeling like, you know, the truth is, is elusive and we don't really know right from wrong or fact from fiction anymore. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating thread to pull on and we, we, we pull on it quite a bit, I'm happy to say, over the next few weeks. Jeff Semple, renowned Global News Network correspondent, former Global News Europe bureau chief and the host of Russia Rising, the newest Global News Curious Cast podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Great talking with you. You can find the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. We have linked it to the 680 CJOB Instagram story. We'd love for you to find it there. Or you can just Google Global News Russia Rising and you will find it as well. been telling you this morning in the weather it's gonna be cold tonight windchill near minus 50 yuck david phillips senior climatologist with environment canada joins us now live on the start david good morning to you sir Good morning, guys. It warmed up this morning, not not the minus 30s it's been for the last three uh, uh, mornings, but boy, it is uh, it is brutally cold, and this is clearly Siberian air. It's come right over the top of the world, and it's made a beeline right through the heart of North America via uh, Manitoba and into the United States, and it's freezing every everybody from, I would say, from now Saskatoon eastward, uh, still milder than normally out in the west, but boy, in the central part of the country, it is bone-chilling cold. Uh, it is uh, certainly one of the coldest moments of the of the entire winter. And you know, you guys, you said that Barack Obama was coming in March. Well, I'm coming there this week to Winnipeg and Brandon on Wednesday, and I look at the temperatures. Guys, I've, I'm 70 years old. I've never seen temperatures as cold as minus 29 for a high. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it for a low as minus 29. So I tell you, I wish those potato producers could have their conference in in July rather than January. Well, first of all, we appreciate uh, your your concern, your hushed tone, almost a sympathetic tone of voice yeah. as you deliver this uh, to us this morning. And we'll look forward to having you here in the province. But I've been reading all weekend about how this cold weather is as cold as it's been in 20 years in, in many parts of the Great Lakes. And David, it was 1996, the winter of 96, where we went uh, almost a month where it didn't go above minus 20 as a daytime high. We had the conversation just a few weeks ago about the coldest weather we remember here in Winnipeg, and three of the six people on the panel referenced the winter at January and into early February of 1996. Well, 
yeah, guys, that was that was a cold one. I, I also remember that one. I, I don't think this one's going to equate at all. In fact, you know, if we if January ended right today, it would still be about a half a degree warmer than normal in Winnipeg. I mean, you've had a few January thaws kind of days at the beginning, and uh, and you know, had fewer days um, uh, below minus uh, twenty than you typically would have, maybe by a couple. But um, and then of course December was warmer than normal by at least two degrees. So I don't think you've been necessarily done in by the by the weather uh, so far. Precipitous snowfall has been about about normal. But, you know, guys, the cold air is like molasses. It fills all the nooks and crannies. It's hard to kick it out. And we're going to see this week, I mean, by, by the weekend, we're going to see temperatures that are, instead of 18 degrees cooler than normal, might only be two or three degrees cooler. But uh, we think this is the normal going to be the coldest time of the winter. And uh, as we move into February. It looks like the beginning of February is going to be similarly cold, and then and then maybe it'll break. We I think that we see some melting temperatures in February. It's the shortest month, and it can always already feel that heat from the sun in March. So uh, my sense is get over this this uh, last couple of days and the next couple of days, and and I think uh, it won't seem as bad in the in the weeks to come. David, we have to go in about 90 seconds here, but uh, with, with you, with Environment Canada predicting wind chill in the range of minus 53 overnight, we've had yeah. some people tell us, you know, why do we say what the temperature is and then it feels like minus 53? If it feels like minus 53, why isn't it just minus 53 degrees? Well, you know, the wind chill is, is, is kind of a, not a pure measure. It's, uh, it's something that is not uh, measured at all. It's a lookup table, a formula. It doesn't really capture all of the aspects that uh, tell us about the weather. Uh, but it's very popular in Canada. Eighty percent of Canadians uh, make decisions based on the, on the wind chill. And, you know, you, you know, guys, I mean, if you're standing at the corner of Portage and Maine and you know that the winds are howling and, the, and it's minus 20, it feels a lot colder than the day before when it was minus 20 and still air. So we know that uh, wind does increase the rate of heat loss from the body. And uh, so I think it's a good measure. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I think Canadians like it. And, you know, you can use it and just plug it into your own kind of decision-making to cancel recess or or put more hay out there for the farm animals or or dress up more warmly. I I think it's a a good measure. I'm in in favor of it. And especially when we combine it with, hey – going to fresh, uh, f- freeze exposed uh, flesh in about uh, uh, 10, 10 minutes. I think there's an added value to it. David Phillips, Senior Climatologist with Environment Canada. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Okay, guys. Bye-bye now. 813 on 680 CJOB. He is a treasure. Yes, he is. David Phillips, uh, 70. Uh, I guess that means uh, maybe might work for only maybe another 10 or 15 years. So. <laughs> well, and if he's coming to Winnipeg on Wednesday, maybe we'll be able to get him into the studio for someone to visit with him. That'd be great to do. We never get to talk to him in person. I so. think it'd be great to have him here. Right now, we want to tell you about something that I found on Instagram on Friday. I saw on Santa Lucia Pizza's Instagram a picture of a new pizza that is keto friendly. It's a pizza with cheese, a crust made entirely of cheese. And we've just, you know, we've talked about the keto diet with the host of the Super Awesome Science Show and then your buddy Pat, who is uh, on the keto lifestyle. So we thought, let's get our friends over at Santa Lucia Inn to tell us about this. So we have Cos Simeonidis. He is the owner-operator of Santa Lucia Pizza on Henderson. Cos, good morning to you, sir. 
Good morning, gentlemen. Just like I declare, uh, you know, we don't want any conflicts of interest. Jeff Berwadi, when we have him on, I remind people he's my city councillor. Cause is also my purveyor of Santa Lucia pizza. <laughs> that is my location. It's all about the sauce. <laughs> so great and to have the, you here. And that keto pizza is all about the sauce. We have the, the sauce that's it's, it's what makes a pizza. So tell us how, first of all, I mean, this seems as though uh, this, this is pretty advanced thinking on your part at Santa Lucia. How did it come to fruition? Oh, we had a, it started off at our location on St. Mary's Road. Some customers walked in there and uh, uh, was telling us about this pizza. We have heard, we heard about this diet uh, and how this pizza is part of that diet. And uh, um, we, we worked on the crust with the keto organization who my cousin talked to them and they had their input on how we do it and stuff like that. And then next thing you know, we got eight ounces of cheese as a crust. <laughs> it's a cheddar and a matzah blend. And so what do you do? A, Just lay it out on parchment paper and, and cook it yeah, up? Yeah, we pre-cook it. We pre-make the crust uh, like we'll make them in the morning because they got to dry out. Yeah, so the good old Bothwell cheese, cheddar and matzah, and we uh, dry it out and then uh, we make it per order. But it has to dry. So we'll re- we'll, we'll run it through the oven in the special pans we got, uh, parchment paper, and then we uh, flip it over when it comes out, and we just let it dry. I love that kind of cooked cheese. You get that caramelized cheese or whatever, yeah, but it sometimes can be hard to, to you, bite through. You know you know what? So we're the pizza specialists, so yeah. we know how to, to to do it right. And, uh, you know, and now that we're, we're and it's keto pizza's taken off, but as a kid, as a kid growing up in the business with my father, I always remember, you know, like, uh, our pizza, all the toppings and the cheese are right to the edges, right? And my dad always said back, back in the day, he goes, if somebody could ever make, because that's where the best tasting pizza is when that, che- that cheese caramelizes on the crust, right? It was everybody could ever make a pizza with that with that crust, you know? And here we are today uh, making that, uh, you know, but my dad always had that vision of saying, you know, like that crust is number one if you can make it with the cheese, right? But it's a good quality cheese we use also, right? So you need good ingredients to, you know, hold it firm, right? Well, I confess to when I make grilled cheese sandwiches, I will take a little pile of shredded cheese and drop it on the griddle yeah. and, and make my little uh, own uh, wafer out of it, right? 100%. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, We're in the same club. <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, try and explain to us, because based on the research and even the discussion we had with Pat, uh, the, the pizza and keto didn't seem to go together in my mind. It's the lack of carbs, I guess. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is It is the lack of carbs, right? Uh, I'm on a diet and I don't eat nothing that rises. So, Jesus, that's how I do, you know what I mean? So, is it available at all of the Santa it's Lucia? It's all of the Santa Lucia's, yeah. And yeah. so far, it's just a 10-inch that you can get just it Just a 10-inch. But the, my, my goal is because I love uh, working in the kitchens and developing things. And uh, my ultimate goal is to make a 30-inch keto. So there'll be a lot of work and a lot of cheese and a lot of uh, sampling. So when I do decide and uh, start it, I'll be bringing you guys a lot of uh, keto uh, pizza. So right. is this is this a result then the customers coming in and, and yes. giving your their input on what yes. they'd like to see? And that's when that's our our vision is to work with our customers, to to adapt with our customers, to grow with our customers, to meet our customer needs, right? Um and my at my location in Henderson, a lot of my customers know my personal cell number and they all get messages during the morning or late morning and have me something ready for five or four, you know. Wow. It's not just about the keto, but other you know, our whole wheat crust and and our other stuff, right? So 
I make, uh, we have regulars that have their specific demands, right? With the gluten and all that. So we're developing as a company, as a, as a, as a, we grew up in this business, right? So the original owners, we put our heads together. It's what we do. It's what we love. It's what we know. It's all, that's all I know what to do is, is to make pizzas. Well, be easy to put blinders on, right? And pretend yeah. that the rest of this stuff isn't happening and say, no, we're going to sell yeah. pizza the way we make it. Yeah. It, 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 and it, it takes a lot of inform, uh, innovation and courage to, yeah. to approach it the way you are. Well, yeah. And you know what? And it's good for the customer base too, right? Because they show our, it, it shows to them we're concerned on our, our uh, ways to grow with the, with the customers and, and their wants and their needs. And I'm sure down the road, once our kids take over the company, there'll be other things that they're going to, you know what I mean? And when we we always want their kids in the business to learn because we grew up in the business with our parents, right? So that's what made us number one, and that's why we are number one. And as a kid growing up, my dad always says, don't cheat the cheese. You give the customers what they want, give them lots, and they're always going to come back. And don't cheat the customer, and you're always number one. Kaz Simeonidis is the owner-operator of Santa Lucia Pizza on Henderson, talking about the new Keto Pizza, which has a crust made entirely of cheese. And you can try it at all the Santa Lucia locations. SantaLuciaPizza.com is the website. Kaz, thank you so much thank for stopping Thank you very by. much. Go Winnipeg Jets tonight in Philly, and we'll sell a lot of Ketos on Jets games. and McGarry on Thursday. Netflix dropped a documentary that a lot of people were watching over the weekend. It's called Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy Tapes. You a little scared when you look at him? He just doesn't look like the type to kill somebody. Serial killer Theodore Bundy has escaped once again. One of the FBI's most wanted men. He was charming, good-looking, smart. Are you sure you have the right guy? I mean, I thought it had a hold on that crazy. I mean, It's a four-episode documentary, roughly four hours in length, containing present-day interviews, archival footage, and never-before-heard audio recordings made on death row from a searing portrait of notorious serial killer Ted Bundy. After more than a decade of denials, he confessed to 30 homicides that he committed in seven states between 1974 and 1978. Now, we have someone here to discuss this, but before we introduce her... Greg, you got the notification from Netflix on Thursday. We all, who anyone on Netflix gets these notifications, which suggested you watch this, and it was your reaction that actually inspired this discussion. How did you react? Well, I was sitting right here. It was on a commercial break, and I thought, why would I want to see this? It was my reaction, and Netflix sometimes gets their suggestions completely wrong, so that's not new, but to get the email on this and that their algorithm had somehow felt or somehow derived the fact that this email should come to me struck me as odd because I'm not interested in this in any way. Well, as it turns out, we have a colleague in this building who is the polar opposite. She has been excited for weeks to watch this documentary. She is a true crime aficionado. Her name is Kirby. She's with our friends down the hall at Power 97, Winnipeg's Best Rock, Power Mornings with Philly, Joe, and Kirby. So, Kirby, why don't we start by asking you, why do you have such a fascination with true crime, in particular, 
with serial killers. Well, I think it's it's kind of one of those things that uh, serial killers are like monsters to children. You know, children are fascinated with monsters. I think that serial killers are the adult version of that fascination for a lot of people because it's hard to understand why a human being would be capable of such terrible things. And I think that's where the fascination begins for a lot of people. What do you, what do you get? I'm curious as to what is it, Ted in Ted Bundy's voice? Are there confessions here? Like, what's going on? So, uh, it's it's recordings of interviews with Ted Bundy that were done by a number of different uh, behavioral analysts with the FBI and also just uh, people who were working closely with him in, in the trials. Um, so, you got to hear a like, candid interview with the actual Ted Bundy, which was interesting. And one of the things that they did, and I watched this as well, they they got him to speak in the third person because he wasn't revealing, he wasn't talking about anything. He wouldn't re- confess to any crimes. So they got him to talk about it in the third person. So then he started talking about, the per- well, these acts w- who would be committed by somebody, the person who did this must have been in this kind of state. So he was right. sort of confessing mm. to it without confessing. So that must, was that kind of creepy to hear him talking about the crimes he committed without actually talking about the crimes he committed? Yeah, it kind of opened up the dynamic of uh, the mentality behind somebody who's capable of such terrible crimes is how they're still able to talk about it, just not directly. And And so I think that was a good use of uh, detective skills on on whoever came up with the idea in in the documentary to talk to him or get him talking in the third person. Now, a buddy of mine made this observation, and I wanted to put it to you because it's not something I'd ever thought of. But when I mentioned I'm going to be talking about this on Monday with Kirby from Power 97 because she's into this stuff, he said, "Yeah, women tend to like this true crime business more than guys." I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on that. But what do you say? What's your reaction to that? Well, specifically, Ted Bundy is kind of interesting. He's one of those serial killers where a lot of females flock towards him because he was considered very good looking and charming and very well spoken and educated and um, attractive. You know, so a lot of women would flock to the trials, uh, to to the courtroom to see him in person and they would dress. There were some women who even dressed like his victims because he had a thing for women who were brunettes and women who parted their hair down the middle. and So you would see like this culture of women following him, which was so bizarre back in the 70s. Like, Why would a woman be attracted to someone who was capable of such terrible things? I, I just think it's that fascination of there's, there's this good-looking man in front of me, but they just can't make the connection that he, he did what he did. That just gave me chills listening to that. I had no idea that yeah. was a phenomenon. Yeah, and like women would write to him. There, he's not the only serial killer in in the history that women would write to and and try to maintain a relationship. And there's even some instances where there are serial killers that have married their their fans, you know, who who have written to them in jail. And it's just a bizarre thing that uh, that I, I can't explain why women like serial killers more than men, but I, there is a fascination, I think, bigger fascination for the females. Could it be because the the bulk of the crimes committed by these monsters are, are committed female. against women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's like this sense of um, 
interests, but at the same time, also like, you know, what can I do to prevent something like this happening to me? I know for me, I'm always thinking of like better ways to like become more aware of my surroundings in in watching true crime stories uh, to learn from the past kind of thing. Well, you know, I've taken my mother-in-law to task on the fact that she watches Criminal Minds. Mm -hmm. I find it absolutely (laughs) mind-blowing that she will watch this. I mean, nobody loves her grandkids more than than my mother-in-law. And I just can't square the circle around wanting to put yourself as a grandparent or a parent. I cannot watch that show because it freaks me out so much in terms of what people are prepared and capable of doing to kids at times. Yeah. Well, yeah, crimes against children are another, a whole other ball game, I feel like, because, I mean, as a parent, it's probably very difficult to watch things like that, knowing that there are people in this world that commit crimes against children. Right. Um, but some people are just into the psychology behind serial killers. Now we're visiting with Kirby from Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby on Power 97, talking about a new Netflix documentary that just debuted on Thursday, Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tip. Tapes, which features never-before-heard audio conversations with Ted Bundy. So this debuted on Thursday on Netflix, this, yes. this uh, Conversations with a Killer documentary. It's done by the same director who is doing the the dramatized version starring Zac Efron called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. The teaser for that was re- released on Friday, just ahead of its debut at the Sundance Film Festival over the weekend. What did you think of that? I think it's going to be interesting. Well, you're, the fact that Ted Bundy is going to be like the, the the 2019 kind of serial, like somebody you see lots of, and the fact that they, they've done now the confession tapes on Netflix, and now they're doing this movie with Zac Efron, it, it gives a different added value to those who follow that kind of stuff, like with serial killers, specifically Ted Bundy. It's going to be a bit more dramatized, right? Instead of it being more realistic, hearing actual tapes of Ted Bundy's voice, you're going to be able to see a character play out Ted Bunny on the big screen, which I think will be an interesting, um, yeah, it'll just be interesting. Well, let me flip it around on you, Brett. Mm -hmm. Does it seem as though this four-part series on Netflix is a four-part or five- or six-hour trailer for this other film. No, because watching the teaser trailer for the Zac Efron, I found it, it, it almost looked like it was glorifying him, almost celebrating him. You know, the, the music was very upbeat, up-tempo, whereas this Conversations with a Killer was very bleak and kind of downtrodden and depressing, and deservedly so. I mean, this is a man who committed atrocities against nearly three dozen people. Uh, so I was a little curious about the tone of the trailer for the Zac Efron thing, and just the fact that it's Zac Efron. The guy's mm-hmm. like built like a Greek god. It was and a Ted weird Bundy role. looked like a, he was a good looking guy, but he looked kind of normal, right? Well, and very, very skinny at one point. I mean, we learned in the in the documentary that uh, Netflix rolled out this past weekend that Ted Bunny lost so much weight at one point while he was incarcerated to get through a hole in the wall to escape jail. Like, that's how skinny he got. So it'll be interesting to see, like you said, a guy like Zac Afron, who is so built, play that role. But I mean, I, we've seen lots of actors lose and gain weight for different roles, so we'll have to see. Would you recommend this for fans of True Crime listening to this right now? Would you recommend the Netflix documentary on Ted Bundy? Absolutely. I think that if you're a fan of that genre and you're a fan of uh, stories about serial killers, you'll be fascinated to know a few things that I don't think a lot of the general public knew about Ted Bundy that they disclosed in this documentary. That is Kirby from Power 97, Power Mornings with Philly Joe and Kirby. And the question of the day, 
at cjob.com. Brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Do you enjoy true crime stories like the most recent offering from Netflix, Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes? So far, 60% say, yes, it's fascinating to learn about real-life monsters. 40% say, no, it's way too morbid for me. Yeah, see, maybe it's because I watched the Stephen Avery thing, right? Making a Murderer. I haven't watched the, is it the second season they're in? I haven't yeah. watched that, but seems to be lots of stuff happening on that front in that case in real life and real time. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.